welcome to Speaking of College. Welcome, it's your source for reliable knowledge. Oh yeah, we got Dr. P as your host. As your host, we gon' tell you what you need to know. Need to know. Need to know. The more you know, the more you grow. The more you grow. The more you know, the more you grow. Grow. Get more knowledge. Knowledge. Welcome to Speaking of College. Speaking of College. Yeah. Welcome to Speaking of College, your source for reliable answers to college-related questions. I'm your host, Amelia Parnell, and today's episode is about the role of the college president. As you know, the college president has one of the most visible roles, and in this episode, I had a great conversation with Dr. Herman Felsen Jr., president of Wiley College, about some of his daily experiences. During the break, I'll tell you about a new report about the value of college, and I'll close the episode with a question about choosing a good housing option. Now let's get into the show. Welcome to Speaking of College, your source for reliable answers to college-related questions. I'm your host, Amelia Parnell, and I'm excited to bring you this conversation with Dr. Herman Felton Jr. Dr. Felton is the 17th president and CEO of Wiley College in Marshall, Texas. He began his service to the college in the summer of 2018, and in a short period of time, he has achieved significant accomplishments, including spearheading a campaign with college alumni and supporters to renovate and modernize the Thomas W. Cole Library and partnering with the Marshall Economic Development Corporation to receive a $100,000 grant to renovate KBWC, the college's radio station, as well as a training space for physical education majors. President Felton has also created a student health, counseling, and wellness unit for the college that is staffed with a full-time licensed practitioner. In addition to his accomplishments on Wiley's campus, President Felton has immersed himself in the fabric of the Marshall community, where he's a member of the Marshall Rotary Club, the Marshall Chamber of Commerce, and the Citizens Advisory Council. Dr. Felton comes to Wiley College from Wilberforce University in Wilberforce, Ohio, where he served as the school's 21st president. Prior to his appointment to Wilberforce University, Dr. Felton served as Senior Vice President, Chief Operating Officer, and Vice President of Institutional Advancement for Livingstone College in Salisbury, North Carolina. He was also the Director of Development while serving as a lecturer in the Government, Law, and International Affairs Department at Murray State University in Murray, Kentucky. Dr. Felton earned his Bachelor's Degree in Political Science from Edward Waters College in Jacksonville, Florida. He also earned his Juris Doctorate from the Levin College of Law at the University of Florida and completed graduate work at Jackson State University, where he earned the Doctor of Philosophy in Educational Administration and Supervision. Herman is co-founder of the Higher Education Leadership Foundation, an organization ensuring that a pipeline of transformational, highly skilled, and principled leaders are identified and cultivated to meet the needs, challenges, and opportunities facing the nation's historically Black colleges and universities. Dr. Felton served in the United States Marine Corps for eight years. He is married to the lovely Catherine Ann Felton and is the father of Jamal, Paige, and Herman III. So, Herman, is it, is it cool to call you Herman? Can we, can we be more casual and not say Dr. Felton? I would prefer that. Cool. I want to say thank you for wearing your college t-shirts. I'm wearing FAMU, my beloved FAMU. Who are you wearing today? This is Wiley College, home to the great debaters. Right on. So let's start before I ask you the second question, which will be to tell us more about Wiley College. Let's start with your beginnings. So I think if I'm correct, you started your college journey at Edward Waters College in Jacksonville, Florida. Edward Waters College. Yeah. Yeah. So tell us a little bit about the factors that influenced your decision to go there. Take us back to the beginning. At that point, we had to make a college choice. Why did you choose there? Yeah. So it was short answer. It was the only place that will happen. 
I'm a non-traditional student. I didn't graduate from high school and I went in the Marine Corps right out of high school. And so when I got out of the Marine Corps, I realized quickly that what I thought was my dream job was merely a placeholder. I got the opportunity to work for the U.S. Postal Service. Hmm. And people make really good money. People send their kids to college and, you know, buy homes and do great things and retire comfortably at from the Postal Service. So I just knew that that was it for me. But one day, fate would have it that I saw a young man who wasn't wearing the same type of uniform I was. And I simply asked him, like, yo, what do you do here? And he said he was in logistics. I said, what are the requirements for that? And he said, at least a college degree, a bachelor's. And so I knew at that point that I needed to go get an education. So I, you know, Jacksonville is home to the University of North Florida, Jacksonville University, Florida Community College. And I tried to get into UNF at JU, no luck. And then I went down to the community college, which it was FJC at the time, Florida Junior College. And I was standing in line, getting ready to get registered. And a admissions officer from Edward Waters College walked up to me and said, you don't want to go there. You want to come over here to Edward Waters College. And so my question was, was, will they accept me? And he said, well, let's go talk about that. And the rest is history. I went to Edward Waters College, barely getting into the institution, to being nurtured to be my best self and leaving with no debt, full scholarship to law school. Wow. Herman, that is the dream. I think at some point, I'm sure Edward Waters has reached back out to you to have you tell that story in some way about where you start there and how you could end up. But I think there are probably going to be a lot of people who listen to your story and can hear a lot of what they have been juggling in terms of decisions. So that is awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So um, let's let's segue a little bit. So I'm, you know, I'm wearing FAMU. You got Edward Waters as your beginning. And now you work at Wiley, three HBCUs. And I could say it resonates very strongly with me. So I, I have to give you the, the second question, which is tell us about Wiley College. What makes it special? Where is it located? What kind of students go there? Yeah, Marshall, Texas. We're in the eastern part of Texas. The closest major city to us is Shreveport, Louisiana. Most people will know of Wiley College as home to the great debaters, Denzel Washington, my man, um, Henry Lowe, which is what his movie name was, but Nate Parker and Journey Smollett played two of the debaters who went up against Harvard and crushed them in the 1930s when debate was not necessarily a sport that African-Americans were welcomed in. That movie was shot, produced by Oprah Winfrey and, and Denzel Washington, who still is very active with the college. He gave a couple of million dollars to the institution to reinvigorate the debate program, and they've been winning national championships since then. With the first HBCU west of the Mississippi River, and we are a private, small, liberal arts college that is affiliated with the United Methodist Church. We've got students who range from late bloomers all the way up to Fulbright scholars and everything in between. But I think at the crux of a student who attends Wiley College is this notion to do all the good they can to as many people as they can for as long as they can. We're, we're an institution about serving greater humanity. Awesome. I think if I'm if I'm being completely biased, HBCUs have a special place in my heart just just because and Wiley would be no different. And so though I've not visited in person, I hope to get there at some point in the future and see it. So if I've done my homework correctly, this is not your first presidency. You were a president at a previous college. 
I was really fortunate. Um, I was at another institution that starts with the W. <laughs> it's church affiliated. Wilberforce University, arguably the first private HBCU, but it is such a rich history of a place and the inception of that institution to have African-Americans right out of slavery, led by Daniel Payne, a AME bishop who, you know, had this notion of self-agency mm-hmm. and wanted to create a college. And he did so. And he was really, really compelled to do that by a gentleman by the name of William Wilberforce, who actually, you know, helped abolish slavery, the slave trade. So I'm very fortunate to have my first presidency at such a historic institution. And I'm even more fortunate to be at the other HBCU that starts with the W. (laughs) Yes. All right. So Herman, uh, we've started off with laying the foundation. I've asked you some very contextual questions. Let's shift a little bit because I chose this topic of what does a college president do? Because I really want our listeners to know a little bit more about the day in the life. And so I got to start with this kind of first entry question, which is, this is your second presidency. If you think back to when you first started your career, did you always have aspirations to be a college president or did this kind of just happen to you? No, I, first, I believe that God is everywhere. Second, I was the SGA president at Edward Waters College. And my president at that time, Dr. Jimmy R. Jenkins Sr., was in a board meeting. And our board members were having this robust discussion around diminishing the amount of open door admits per year. They wanted to increase the academic profile of the institution. Well, Dr. Jenkins sat and watched every one of the board members exclaim why this was beneficial to the institution. And I had never seen a person articulate with passion and eloquence a verbal slaughter. I had (laughs) never seen that in my life. And his advocacy for, for people like me to come at institutions who were founded by the progeny of slaves was just amazing. And I knew right then and there in September of 19, no, September of 2000, I realized then at my first board meeting that I wanted to be an HBCU college president. So I went to law school exclaiming, I'm just here to get a terminal degree. I'm going to be a black college president. Uh Uh, my, My classmates will tell you that I knew from the moment I saw Dr. Jenkins advocate for for people like me that I wanted to continue his work. And that's that's yeah. Mm-hmm. For some time that I wanted to be an HBCU president. And it happened twice. So let's talk about let's talk about preparation. So earlier in my career, I happened to be part of a research team that looked at the formal preparation of a college president. And I'm wondering if you would agree with one of our findings, which is that while there are preparation programs that you would take as a portion of a time to learn specific topics and things like that, there are certain parts of being a president for which formal preparation may not exist. I want to ask you, what would be some of those things in your in your daily job that you would say, I don't know what preparation would look like. And if so, if there is one, tell us about it. Yeah, I think dealing with the variety of challenges, right? The complexity and the speed. In the Marine Corps, as a Marine, we were taught to train for battle. 
And so to train in simulation of battle. And so when you got to battle, it would feel like training in some esoteric way, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Some simple way. And here, the decisions that you make, the policy decisions that you make, you're responding to current events. You're responding to policy that is driven by people who may have political ideology that is inconsistent with with the institutions. They may be governing members. You're dealing with students who have an awakening about the food in the calf, right? Um, (laughs) How do you manage that? Or, you know, alums who don't feel as though you're being responsive to their inquiries, or, God forbid, you buy a piece of land in the community that you're in that was coveted by the community and they feel as though, okay, now he's getting ready to take over. He or she is getting ready to take over the whole community. Mm-hmm. Right? There's no training for the emotional intelligence that one needs to manage on a day-to-day basis. And what makes it even more complex, uh, Amelia, is that it is ever-changing and you never know when it's coming. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In the same research project, we did a lot of interviews with current presidents and those who had been past presidents. And one of them said something that I will never forget. He said that by the time things get to his desk, all of the easy choices are taken. Like every day is a series of difficult decisions. Would you would you agree with that? Absolutely. And, you know, that is one of the reasons why people who ascend to the presidency and are fortunate enough to be selected have to really be serious about sound judgment. And it sounds like making decisions are simple, but it's really like three-dimensional chess because you know that the implications of one decision could have ripple effects, rippling effects. And you need to be able to calculate what those effects are before you make the decision. So it is it is true. By the time it gets to you, it's because either someone doesn't want to make the decision or they don't know how to make the decision. And neither of those are good. They're hairy because if somebody doesn't want to make it, it means <laughs> that it's, it's going to upset somebody, right? And if they don't know what, which way to go, then that too has implications that, you know, may not be foreseeable. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I got to ask you, what's one of the biggest myths about being college president? I mean, I probably could see the pop with a couple of them, but I'm, I'm sure there's something that you think everybody thinks about being a president that's just simply not the case. What might that be? Boy, that's a good one. First, we're not monolith, right? We're not, we are different. All of us are different. I ride a Harley and I fly planes and I love shooting guns. I also listen to trap music and rap (laughs) music and gospel music. Like we're, we're just individuals who happen to be leading institutions. But I think in saying that, I think the one thing that people don't associate with the president is probably that we are human beings who have feelings Mm -hmm. and we're impacted by how our decisions impact people, what what impact that has on people. I think that's it for me. I don't think people realize that we're human. Yeah. You get talked about, you get bashed, 
And those things, they, they take a toll on you, um, particularly when you know you get up every day wanting to do the best job that you can do. Mm-hmm. And people will assume that, ah, president is mean or, ah, you know, and hearing that stuff bothers you. It takes a toll. So I think, yeah, letting people know that, like, we have feelings and they get hurt oh. um, is really important. Well, I think we can make that part of the headline, you know, that you are part of the campus community, not isolated from it. And so, um, well, how do you deal with that? I imagine the the number of decisions to make, the complexities of it. Of course, you got the press and you got angry alums and parents and all of that. What do you do for fun? What do you do to relax or get away from the stress of all of it? Yeah, so that's a great question because it, it is what I tell people all the time is that you have to come to these positions, these posts full as a human being. I have great friends. I have a, an amazing wife and family and kids. And I have my hobbies. You know, I golf. I ride a Harley. I am a person who enjoys going to the shooting range. I also enjoy flying small Cessna planes. I like walking, uh, exercising. I, I love spending time with my family. So, you know, all the things that people you know, find joy I think you have to have that as those creative outlets to deal with the stress that comes on a daily basis. Oh, absolutely. So two more questions, then we'll go to a break. So this is still in the kind of segment of getting to know Hermit. So let's pretend that we can see your calendar today. You know, maybe not minute by minute, but what did you do today? What was on your, your list of items that had to get done? So I had a cabinet meeting. First at 8 a.m. That's where meet with all of the executive members and we talk about what's happening at a very high level. The objectives, the presser, the pressing issue right now is enrollment. As this is summer, I spoke with Bank of America about being a sponsor. I had the incoming chairman of the board, who is now the vice chairman, had lunch with him. And then I did a tour with uh, about 30 kids that were in a baseball camp. And then I have an hour set aside to do all of my receipts. <laughs> you do. You, like, I think I might know what you mean by that. When you say do your receipts, I'm, I'm assuming that means that when you travel, that you have to. That's right. When I use my credit card to make sure that I am compliant because I want to send great messages to every other person on our team, I never want to be flagged by the business department of being non-compliant. So doing my receipts is actually making sure that my receipts are in a nice, neat little folder and ready for the folks. Mm-hmm. So tomorrow I have all I have a ton of interviews tomorrow hiring some key positions. So today was a pretty diverse day filled with phone calls and responding to emails and all that good stuff. That's not on the calendar, but just as encumbrance. Yeah. So my follow-up question is, I, I know sometimes when we see news about college presidents, you see them shaking hands and making deals and visiting high schools and hosting dinners and things of that sort. How much of that stuff do you do? I love that kind of stuff. I do a great deal of it. You know, you've got to get out and be a part of the community. There's the quintessential president, HBCU president, was a gentleman to me by the name of Samuel DeWitt Proctor, who was at Virginia Union and also went to North Carolina A&T and is highly revered. But he had the ability to merge social good, being an advocate in the civil rights movement, policymaking, 
as a politician, a quasi-politician. He was an extraordinarily gifted theologian, and he was an administrator, and he did those at very high level. But nuanced in all those things was his ability to be out in the community, to be a sentinel and a surrogate for the institution, to help his students navigate the civil rights movement, to be a part of them, to get them to understand how to do it, and to also be able to deal with policy at a state, local, or federal level. I think our positions nowadays have to go back to that space where we're able to do those things in addition to being able to handle our constituents on the campus, being able to do things with our alums, and being able to get out in the community so that people know that you are a part of the community. I enjoy that. Mm-hmm. There, there's some key themes of what you just described that I will always be, be fascinated about, I think, at any level. The first is just strategic communication and translation. So being able to explain to different audiences what matters to the college, what should matter to them, how to marry those two things together and get them to want to be a part of a larger mission and community. And I think the other one is just to be responsive or even proactive to what you think is coming, always following trends, what's going on in other campuses near you across the country and things like that. So kudos. So We're going to go to a short break and we're going to follow up on the about Herman part where we can actually get to some of the things you know. So to be a college president, it's good to have a good personality and be able to relate to people, but you got to have some technical expertise. And I want to leverage that to see what types of advice you might have for our listeners about how to navigate college and make it successful for them. So we're going to go to the break and we come back, we're going to get Herman's advice for students and families and others interested in college. If you've ever asked the question, what is the value of a college degree? you're in good company. A few months ago, the Post-Secondary Value Commission, a group of national experts, released a report called Equitable Value, Promoting Economic Mobility and Social Justice Through Post-Secondary Education. The report is over 100 pages long, and it describes the many ways in which a college education can help individuals financially and socially. The report also includes recommendations for college leaders, policymakers, students, and families to consider. If you're interested in learning more, just visit the website, postsecondaryvalue.org. Herman, welcome back. I'm going to ask you some tougher questions. Not too tough for you, but tougher compared to the, the easy softball ones I gave you. Are you ready? All right, I'm ready. All right. So thinking about the number of students who are admitted to a college and they probably are walking about and they might actually bump into a president. I imagine on Wally's campus that might happen to you quite a bit. What's something that students frequently ask you and how do you typically respond? Why am I wearing a fitted cap? (laughs) I'm a huge Yankees fan and Uh I wear a fitted cap in a suit and jeans. I I wear a fitted cap for obvious reasons. I'm a bald head guy and skin cancer is real. Mm -hmm. But I also happen to be a a devout Yankees fan. And so it's typically an icebreaker that leads to what kind of music do you listen to? You know, do you think Jay-Z is the greatest of all time? So it's all over the place. Sometimes it's, you know, what kind of shoes are you wearing or where'd you get that suit made? it, it, most of the questions are really personal questions because I spent a lot of time in our cafeteria when we were open and I live on campus. So I'm a part of the community. So, you know, we have tough conversations about, you know, how are you doing academically? But most of our conversations are really about humanizing the president. 
just getting familiar with him on a level that allows him to be comfortable. Mm -hmm. So if we look at the headlines that relate to college, I imagine you could probably pick any news outlet and pull a random set of articles about college and somewhere in there will be a question about the cost of college, the rising cost of college, student loan debt and any of that. I imagine that if not given the opportunity to talk with one of us, that would lead somebody to make their own assumptions about why college is so expensive. So I want to make it practical and see if you can do in a few minutes the answer to a very common question that I've heard, which is, how does a college pay its bills? Where does it get money from? Does it all come from student tuition? So you have student tuition and you have auxiliary services, right? The money that you generate from bookstores, selling merchandise, selling property or managing property, the money that you get from the investments that you make, they're a variety different, but also the endowment funds generated from endowment expenditures, but the general pot of money comes from tuition and fees, which are books, room and board and classroom fees. Mm -hmm. And so that's where the bulk of the money comes from. I'd say about 80% of an institution's uh, operating expenses come from the money generated from tuition and fees. Okay. So you you mentioned the key word there I want to follow up on, endowments. So when the pandemic hit, there were a lot of conversations about colleges that had an endowment. Why can't they just cover any shortfalls and money they need from the endowment? What is an endowment and how does a college president and its board and other leaders use it? In short, it's a place where you park money and it generates interest. But you can't spend if you put $10 million in it can't spend the 10 million, you only get to spend the interest that generated from investing the 10 million. Most of the endowments are restricted. That means the person who gives money into that endowment gets to dictate how you spend it. And most of those are expenditures for scholarships to help students pay for their aid. That is an endowment and that's how you generate revenue. How you spend it, there is oftentimes very small percentage of it that will go towards operating funds. But again, most of it is restricted. You may have people endowing the basketball team. So that means that you can only pay for travel associated with you know, the basketball team or the endowed chair of physics you can only use that money to pay the professor or to help the professor do research, right? So the endowments look like a lot of money, but the reality is, is that people can't just rely on them because of the restricted asset that it is, which means that you can only use it for one purpose. Mm -hmm. So you mean it's not a slush fund to just spend however you like? It is not. In fact, schools get in trouble for mm -hmm. by way of audits. If you get a finding that suggests that you utilize that money in an inappropriate way, you can get a finding on your audit and findings are not good for anyone. Yeah. So, you know, I realize I'm, I'm in the weeds a little bit, but I think for the average student, you know, I, I don't know that they knew that their college has an endowment and what it's, what it's used for. I also don't know if they know what some of the major expenses of a college are. And so what might some of those be? The first is your fixed costs, which is human capital, faculty members, all the people who are laboring, 
that's probably going to be anywhere from 60 to 70 percent of your costs. After that, the next is feeding your students. That's pretty costly. Mm-hmm. So we contract with food service organizations that provide food. And then after that is going to be your auxiliary services. How do you pay for basketball, football, baseball teams to get to where they're going? How do you do the upgrades on the campus? But your fixed costs is where it is. Faculty, staff, that's where the bulk of payroll and your budget is going to be expended. Mm-hmm. Herman, thank you for breaking all this down. I think the same way you described presence as not being a monolith, I would say expenses are not that. And I think the average person, if asked to list them out, we could go even more granular. I was on a panel yesterday and it was talking about the overall cost to operate a college. And of course, they had the typical chart up there that showed the cost of personnel and instruction and things like that. But they put some smaller things in there too, like the cost of the salt that would be used to melt the ice should that campus have snow that has to come from someplace, the cost of the gas that goes into the mowers to mow the lawn. And so, when you add it all up, it's a it's a multi-million dollar enterprise and a lot goes into it. That is absolutely correct. These are, while they're educational entities, they are multi-million dollar corporations. And some of them are billion dollar corporations. But these are businesses that are complex and they require a level of intellect to run them. I want to weave this in a little bit too. I think if anybody's listening to this and they might truly become you know, fascinated by it, how did you pick up a business savvy? Because obviously some of these discussions, debits and credits and investments and all that stuff, how did you pick that up? You know, How did you, you learn how to do this? I had a sponsor who told me, and I have a sponsor who told me that if you want to be a college president, you need to know a little about everything. And so as I traversed through my career, I volunteered to be on committees. I, you know, volunteered to fill a gap until we found a person that may have left the college in student affairs. I wanted to know everything there was to know about student affairs. So I was interim student affairs, VP for institutional advancement, my day job. And then when we had a gap in the athletics department in student affairs, I volunteered to go over and manage those areas guess what that meant? I got an opportunity to learn everything about them. When it was time for our Southern Association reaffirmation or being accredited to be educators, I wanted to go into the finance area and understand how the finances of a college really work. You know, Mm -hmm. what does it mean to fund the physical plant division, which gas is really expensive, the motor pool, the insurance that covers the motor pool, tires. You're constantly using vehicles, the maintenance, the wear and tear on that, even the physical plant. So understanding this is a complex organization and I wanted to run one, I was just enamored with learning everything that I could so that when I got to my opportunity to run a college, It was a conversation. It it was never an interview um, Mm -hmm. because I talked from a perspective of comfort having been exposed to those things. So I was really just greedy and nosy. (laughs) Yeah, I was greedy about learning all that I could and really nosy in areas where I didn't, where I knew I didn't know what I needed to know. 
Yeah, this is cool to get the, the up-close picture of, of what it's like to be in, in your seat. Thinking about Wiley's mission and the mission of many other HBCUs, and I'm thinking about what it must be like to be someone who's supporting somebody in college. So now I'm, I'm, the next question is going to relate to parents, guardians, aunties, cousins, sisters, brothers, who may have a student that they're supporting or you know just generally wishing well that's enrolled at Wiley, but they don't necessarily know all the stuff that we've been talking about. What's the best advice you can give to a family member, a parent, someone else? who's supporting somebody in college in this day and age, in the middle of a pandemic and a whole lot of other things. What's the best way that they can help their their loved one be successful? That's a great question, Amelia. And I think COVID and the racial awakening, the social justice movements have really exacerbated my response. And it is simple. Remind people that they're loved. I think you also have to find a different way without saying a lot is riding on you right now, but just letting people know that you're proud of them and you're there for them because college is an extension of high school and there can be mean people and there could be cliques and Mm -hmm. people have to figure out where they fit in. And that familiar voice more frequently than not I think can really be the difference from people feeling comfortable with themselves. And you know what happens when a person is comfortable with themselves. Mm -hmm. They blossom. And that's what you want people to do. You want people to blossom when they're in school. And so I think the connective tissue of family, friends, and loved ones is something that really facilitates that process of of being comfortable with self. And I think people bloom out from inside to out. Mm-hmm. So we're getting close to the end. I got a, a couple more questions. The next question is really for students. So we've talked about how those who are supporting a student can, can do that well. And you mentioned blossoming. I want to be more specific. What's something that you see successful or blossoming students do consistently? So if you were to offer some advice you know, to a current college student, those at Wiley or otherwise, what would that advice be about how to blossom and be successful? You know, I watched a group of students at Livingstone College treat college as though it were a job. They were serious about eight to five, studying, going to class, but they had a blast. They were, they pledged, they were at basketball games, football games, they went to parties, they had a blast, but they were very committed to taking care of business during their office hours. Mm -hmm. And so I always try to encourage students and you see it, the reoccurring thing, those who are involved in SGA, got to get involved in the civic organizations, but you have to treat school like it's a business. After all it is, your Mm -hmm. your GPA will be your calling card for success. Uh, It will dictate where you go to graduate school. If you go to graduate school, if you get scholarships while you're an undergrad. So those students who clearly get it and are dogmatic, pragmatic even about carving out time that is sacred for studies and balance that with their ability to live up to what college is supposed to be, which is the best time of your life. Those are the kids that I see leave and walk across the graduation stage 
with a job or graduate school in hand. And they're really able to enjoy themselves because they prepare for that moment. And that's what really college is about, really preparing for life after it. Mm -hmm. Weird, right? You've got to enjoy yourself and have the best time of your life. (laughs) You also have to be preparing for what happens when you walk across that stage. So, and I just want to say, if I can add, Amelia. Yeah, of course. For all the students, please understand that mom and daddy are going to be really happy about the weekend after graduation, that Monday morning. (laughs) It's going to be what's next. Mm -hmm. Where are you going? You know, what job do you have? What school are you going to? That whole weekend is yours, but you need to go to school understanding that when you graduate, uh, you need to be able to specifically answer a question. And that is what's next. But Mm -hmm. the only way to do that is to really treat those four years like they're they're a job. Absolutely. The, the, the question is, what are your plans after this? That's how it goes. So two more questions before we get into a, a very fun either or this or that round. So the next question is kind of more macro. So we've talked a lot about what advice you'd give students, what you see successful students do. One part of your role as president that we haven't touched on yet that I, I'd be remiss if we didn't is truly the access that you get to state policymakers, federal policymakers, those who are in decision-making roles about the whole enterprise of higher education. So Wally being a part of that, FAMU being a part of it. And I'm sure that at various points, those who are in those types of decision-making roles want to know what should they be thinking about? What should they be doing? So I'm, I'm thinking ahead for the future. Let's just, let's just say 2025. If you could make one major change or suggest one major change to how higher education works, it could be in the area of teaching and learning or how colleges are structured or finance or any of that stuff that you think would make it better by the year 2025, what what kind of change would it be? Affordability for everybody, right? The pressure, the stress of worrying about how you pay for an education, which I believe the social contract that we have being born as an American citizen is an inalienable right. Mm-hmm. We all deserve the right to go to school. And I think that should be something that we really take a hard look at. Other countries are doing it in a way that allows for their citizenry to really pour back into their nation. And so if we had the gift and the luxury of stopping the haves and the have-nots and allowing kids to get a quality education, be it technical or liberal arts, without the worryation of how they're going to pay for it, if there were one thing that I could do, it would be that. Mm-hmm. I would I would add to that. And if you could make it happen by 2025, we would be so grateful, Herman, if you could get that done. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for that. All right. So my last question before the wraparound question is my famous backpack question. It's famous because I've asked every guest before you the same question. I often add it in panels and just love the, the variety of responses that I get. So no pressure. If you were to prepare a backpack for a student who's going to start college in the fall, based on everything that you know about what it takes to be successful, what they might experience, what's one thing that you put in that backpack and why? A thesaurus. The ability to articulate your position, whether you are dissenting or affirming something, could invariably be a door opener, a game changer for you. However, the ability not to be in a space where you can expound on thought could cost you an opportunity as well. So 
I think something that gives people the gift of articulation of thought is the one thing that I would give to a student in a backpack of the source. You know, Herman, every time I ask the question, I always have the same response. Now I want the backpack and I can have access to the thesaurus, but still, you know, I feel like I could just fill it up with a whole bunch of stuff. At the end of the first season, I took all the backpack answers and made a whole episode out of it. It's It's been really cool. So yeah, I think the answer that you gave is probably the one that's I mean, now my new favorite. <laughs> so, I mean, until the next time. So you're you're in the number one spot for now. Okay. Uh, all right. So for those listening, I had a chance to be on Herman's podcast. I believe it was almost over a year ago. That's like April, something like that. Yeah, it was pre, pre-COVID. Pre-COVID, yeah, yeah. One of the best conversations I've had in terms of a podcast. And at the end of that one, Herman gave me a very difficult set of either or questions. And so I feel like it's only appropriate that I return the favor and give you some as well. Are you ready? I think so. Oh, we'll mix them up. We'll go easy first. Coffee or tea? Tea. All right. Basketball or football? Um, basketball. All right. Winter or summer? Summer. All right. Live music event or live sporting event? Live. Oh. <laughs> uh, live. Music. Okay. Starbursts or now and later? Now and later. And now, that. Yeah. And notice that I pronounced it as now and later, but it's actually now later. Now later. And if you knew now where, later. Where, where I'm from. Where, where I'm from. This is now later. Yeah. Uh, side note, Starbursts, you know, has a softer type of thing. Now later tastes better, but we'll take out all of the dental work that you've ever All made. of it. Yes. yes. Leave you in bad shape. Yeah. Should now later want to sponsor an episode, I will change my position on it. But until that time, you know, that's what that's where we are. <laughs> All right. Early bird or night owl? Early bird. All right. Spades or dominoes? Spades. Okay. Last one. Road trip or jet setting? Road trip all day. <laughs> all right. Well, I guess I took it kind of easy on you. Herman, you've answered all my questions. We've talked about your journey to the presidency. we talked about your advice for students and families. we talked about what it takes to run a campus. I don't think I can ask you any more questions. It just wouldn't be fair. But um, in the bigger scheme of things, I'm doing this show because I want to help anybody who wants to know how college works understand it better. And I think we have nailed it. So thank you for being a fabulous guest. I really appreciate it. And I hope that our paths will cross again soon but until such time i wish you the best at wiley and that everything that you have planned for the campus in the fall happens exceptionally well thank you thank you amelia thank you for having me i appreciate it it's time to ask dr p ask dr p ask dr p get the s's that you need today's question is from roxy in eckington roxy writes dear dr p my college offers housing on campus but i think i might also like to live off campus What should I consider when making this decision? Roxy, this is a great question. And though I don't know all the details about your options, I can suggest three things for you to keep in mind. The first is how much you plan to take advantage of campus resources. For example, if you think you would like to participate in several clubs or activities, or that you'd like to visit with a tutor or counselor fairly often, living on campus might save you a bit of traveling time. The second thing to consider is the cost. You may find that a location off campus has cheaper rent, But be sure to pay attention to your other living expenses, such as utilities, water, and sewer costs. If you find that the off-campus location is still cheaper after you account for these other things, it might be a good option for you. The third is your studying environment. 
you're going to need a living space that offers you the most ideal conditions for you to review your course materials. So I would suggest you compare your space options for living on campus with those for living off campus and think about which one will give you the best opportunity to learn material without distractions. Now, I know there are other things for you to consider, but I hope these three suggestions will help you make a good decision. Thanks again for a great question. If you're listening to this show and you have a question about college, you can write me at amelia at speakingofcollege.com and I'd be glad to answer and maybe feature your question on a future episode. For now, that brings this episode to a close. I hope this episode about the college president has given you a better picture of what senior leaders are doing to make sure the college experience is the best one possible. I want to thank Herman and the many other college presidents who are working hard to manage lots of decisions and make plans for the future. If you like this episode, please consider subscribing to the show, and I'll be back with you in Speaking of College again soon. In the meantime, I hope you have an inspiring day.